This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. Don't forget, spread the word. Tell folks about it. Uh, It is time for quality content to go viral. All the crazy stuff's going viral. (laughs) But it's time for things that folks actually find useful and helpful to go viral. So tell folks about the the podcast. Uh, We appreciate it. The UX community will appreciate it. Uh, today, we are going back to our talking shop uh, uh, repository, if you will. Well, it's not really a repository. It's a repository from the perspective that the people that I have on the show, I've interacted with them in some way, form or fashion over time. But I had a, an engagement or an interaction, I should say, had an interaction with somebody, somebody who I've been connected with on LinkedIn for a while. And it hit me. Got to have this guy on the show. This guy has a mm-hmm. lot of great things to say. And and part of what I want to do with the show and what I have been doing is help to provide more access to, to the masses, to people who have something to contribute to the discipline, not people who are trying to make a name for themselves, not, pe- not people who are trying to become celebrities, not people who just want to be heard, not people having a narcissistic fit but people who actually have something to say, something that vaults us forward. I want to help everybody go forward. The people I bring on the show want to help everybody go forward. And that said, uh, I want to uh, introduce my guests and as always have my guests tell you who they are. But today joining me on the world of UX, I have the one, the only Roshan Ravi, all the way from Bangalore. It's late where he is. Uh, So welcome everybody to... Roshan Ravi. All right. Hey, thank you, Darren. Roshan, thank you so much. <laughs> tell everybody who, yeah. you, who you are. It's introduction time. Tell everybody who you are and sure. what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, thanks, Darren, again for uh, you know uh, inviting me to the podcast. Uh, you know, it's 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 a real privilege. You are somebody I actually look up to. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a real privilege to be here. And uh, you know, I'm a, I primarily say so, you know I, I tell everyone that i'm primarily a designer um so that's what uh, you know who i am i actually started in 2003 as a you know graphics and web designer mm-hmm. and using flash and you know <laughs> <laughs> those things <laughs> microsoft front page and you know all, oh, wow. all those kind of things front page <laughs> um, yeah you remember those <laughs> oh, you know, that that that's that's my origin story is actually and then you know sort of uh, kind of uh, started, um, got introduced to accessibility. So that's where, you know, mm. uh, sort of I, I got into user, user experience uh, because I was working on a lot of freelance projects and I was also taking care of a website for a company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a regulatory kind of need, they wanted to introduce the um, accessibility into it. And then, you know, sort of I started, you know, 
learning about it and then you know section 508 um AA and triple standards were not that popular at the time uh, but you know at this section 508 was like people what was kind of uh, going for that and that's when i got introduced to the accessibility and then learned about usability eventually yep. and then sort of started getting into you know user experience and things like that even then people did, you know they were not calling it user experience it was just usability basically right. you know like right. how you use it you know problem solving <laughs> and things like that so that and you know um that's that's what i did for a long time and then you know eventually uh, kind of ended up with the organizations like sapient adobe uh, very, very recently and then you know ey um and Stan young uh, hewlett packard enterprise and currently I am um, I am one of the WPP company, you know, WPP is an organization that that yep. owns sort of Ogilvy and things like that. I'm an alum. All right. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh nice. We, we so have a then, couple you know, of a couple of crossing points there because I'm I used to run the word processing department for Arthur Young before it became Ernst oh. Young, going all the way back to 1984. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Told my age again. There we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the reason I said, you know, I look up to you, people like that, and, and you know, Debbie and people like that, because, you know, it, it's one thing that, you know, you can actually show the flashy designs and things like that, but yeah. Yeah, it's another to sort of back it up with the real experience and, you know, things like that. But, you know, compared to, you know, I, I, I would still say I'm, uh, I'm still not. Uh, I come from a design background, but but you know, for a long time, I understood the value of doing research and things like that. And now that I'm in a position, in a leadership position, I'm a you know sort of associate director, head of design for for for, for this company. So you know, sort of, I kind of am able to kind of uh, instill those values in our teams. Nice. Um, you know, sort of uh, make sure that, you know, we hire the right people and uh, we don't, especially don't say that you are UX and you know, things like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's my sort of, uh, you know, experience in a nutshell. That is dynamite. And I, I mean, I love hearing about someone's experience. You know, I I, I, mm -hmm. I forgot we had those crossing points because you, you WPP. I was WPP through yeah. Team Detroit, which is now then it became Global Team Blue, then it became uh, VML YMR. Bought the whole thing, so you oh, know, yeah. so I was, I, <laughs> yes, I was all. We were all under one roof doing work for Ford Motor yeah. Company from 2007 yeah, to 2010. Nice. I was there, and uh, wow. very proud uh, of the information architecture that we did when Ford.com.com was, they, they merged the shopping site into the corporate site. And then they, okay. uh, we, we were part of that. I, I helped do that. Okay. And, and then oh, I'm, nice. I'm so proud. And I tell people all the time, the information architecture that my partner at the time, yep. uh, Jody Bowler and I, we actually worked on the information architecture that is pretty much still intact. We did that in 2010 and we nailed it. Yeah. And, and that information architecture has changed very little since 2010 because it's that good because we nailed it. There yeah. were some other things that are not so great, but you know, what would you do? Yeah. But I love, again, I love hearing about the the background. Yeah. I love hearing about uh, a couple of things you said there stood out to me. Of course, the UI UX thing, but you said something else that's really great that I wish more people would do because a lot of companies are not really, they don't seem to be interested in, and it's not a, a common practice, to hire somebody that really knows what they're doing to run UX teams, to run UX operations. Yeah. And you mentioned making sure to hire the right 
people because there's so much oh, yeah. fallout. When you don't hire the yeah. right people, you have a bunch of people. Uh, some of us were talking on LinkedIn. I don't know if you saw this. This was yesterday or earlier this morning, actually, mm-hmm. talking about how that there's an article that someone did for UXPA. And it reminded me of my series on So You Want to Be a UXer. And they were talking about the personality traits that are needed to thrive. Oh, my goodness. And one of the things they mentioned that my new boss was telling me about that article. And that's why I'm like, I got to share this. This is dynamite because <laughs> they said neurotic people. You have to make sure that the people you hire, just focusing on that. Cause I, I want to, I don't want to get too far off the yeah. path there. We got a whole list of things to ask sure. you about, but neurotic yeah. people don't make good UX folks, which, which, and how, many people, yeah, and how many people know what neurotic <laughs> is. So that means that we have to go, we have to look the people who are easily upset. Uh, the people who their, their, their feathers get ruffled easily. Don't, yeah. don't we see people whose feathers get ruffled easily on social media? Don't we get pe- see people oh, yeah, who get absolutely. upset all the time on social media, but then they're mad because they can't get hired. Hey, you're not ready yet. You have every right. Everybody has every right to pursue. If they want to be in UX, you have every right to pursue it. We're not trying yeah, to stop absolutely. that, which is another reason why that whole gatekeeping accusation that hits people like us is not even accurate because we're not yeah. trying to stop anybody. We're, we want you to do it the right way. And, but when you're neurotic, you got to lose that. You can't, you can't get upset easy. Oh, and the big one. And and I'll jump right back to this. I I thought might have some comments on this as well, but people are self doubt is a major fruit. If you will, it's a major Hmm. uh, uh, tendency characteristic of neurotic people. And, but self doubt. So people keep labeling themselves as having imposter syndrome which doesn't exist. Yeah. But self-doubt does, which is life. However, if a person yeah. is sort of immersed in self-doubt and not trying to build, I mean, if you have self-doubt, which we all had at any given time, the question yeah. is, how do you respond? If you, if you don't have confidence, what then do you do to counter that? And so when you're yeah. with, go and find out where you're short, find out where you need to improve. Don't see it. And I mean, yeah, what's, exactly. your take, what's your take on this, Roshan? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I, I think I believe I've shared uh, you know something along these lines some few months ago. Actually, people were talking about like you know like a, a, every um, conference you go to, there will be somebody talking about this uh, you know sort of uh, <laughs> imposter syndrome, right? I mean, and, and as a person who is been doing this, and then who is actually not from um, you know. Uh, you know, like I, I was not trained as a user experience designer or, or you know, like it, I, I kind of, I really loved this and then got into this and then learned things myself. And then I had good mentors, uh, you know, people who can actually kind of uh, help me uh, learn the things yep. that I want, wanted to learn. Yep. Um, and the, the thing is, you know, like if you have self-doubt and if you have a good, uh, you know, sort of mentor, you go to that mentor and then you, Hey, how do I do this? You need to have that sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, relationship. And one of the biggest problems that I, I actually see, and I've been, you know, I've conducted so many interviews, I think probably like hundreds, probably, you know, 
200-300 interviews that I've actually taken for you know people looking to get into user experience right so and then one of the things uh, that I've seen like especially in the and, and this is not I'm not bashing the young people or you know things right, like that right. but um, I, I do I do see that actually a shift um, people kind of uh, pretending to know a lot of things and then when getting challenged they don't want to sort of you know accept it and then yep. or you know, uh, so so I see that actually, and those people will have those imposter syndrome or whatever <laughs> they want to call it, right? Because that's because they are not able to go and ask somebody, "Hey, how do I do this?" Yep. Um, and uh, on the other hand, I have a very young, uh, you know, uh, uh, person that I'm actually uh, uh, mentoring. Uh, she's only like uh, three years uh, in experience, and uh, I think two of those years were in, in you know, visual design, not in, not even in in user experience design. So every time I have those conversation, I kind of tell her that you know, you know, and she is very confident, and uh, there are certain traits that actually makes her a good UX, you know, a UX practitioner, mm-hmm. and she's she she wants to learn about the research. She knows the value of the research and things like that. And the, those kind of people can kind of, you know, they don't feel the imposter syndrome because, you know, right. they can actually yes. call up somebody. Yeah, they can call up somebody and then, you know, hey, um, I'm having this problem. I'm actually doing, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, do a certain thing. Uh, you know, so, I, I would, you know, how do you, how do I do a heuristic evaluation, for example, for a website? Yep. So then I, you know, like I, I sit down and then, you know, just there is somebody to guide her and she can she has built those relationships not based on egos and things like that so that kind of helps i think yep absolutely, absolutely. yeah i think yeah and and uh, about the imposter syndrome right i think i think it's an overused word uh, too much of it actually i yep. you know I've, I've heard a lot of podcasters especially design podcasters not not naming any but you know people <laughs> actually have been actually selling that point for a long time and uh, you know it, it, i think it had its good run i think it's uh, you know a good time that you give it a rest and then you know just uh, Learn, yeah. Learn things properly. Exactly. I mean, when yeah. I when I yeah. did my my blog post on that topic, say here's the history of it, because people accept it, yeah. but they can't even tell you where it came from. They heard it, they accept it, they run mm-hmm. off with it. Why do people just grab any everything that comes up? It, everything is not a legit thing. So I did. I I kept hearing it so much that I had to go dig into it. I, I'm not going to just accept this as if it's a thing, because if it's not a thing, I mean, that's what we're taught to do. That's the academic mindset. Right. You hear a concept and it's part of my doctoral studies, but it exists before you reach the PhD level. When you hear a concept, yeah. you investigate critical thinking, which happens to be at the core yeah. of what we do as you ask people, yeah. how in the world can you just accept something at face value? You have to dig into it. And when you dig into the topic, it's very easy. It doesn't take much effort to find out hmm. this is not really a thing at yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of that blog post, I mentioned if you feel like you have self-doubt, if you lack, you just said it, you lack confidence, call somebody, get, a, yeah, get exactly. an answer. I mean, if you see a wrinkle in your shirt, you take out an iron, you press it. If you, exactly. if, if you, eat some, some food and you see something in your teeth, you get a toothpick and you get it out. 
If you, the nail in your tire thing that I use a lot, if there's a nail in your tire, you take it to the tire shop and you get it taken care of. But all of a sudden, when you see a flaw in you from a UX perspective, you want to get a ostrich effect bias, stick your hand in the ground and pretend it's not there. (laughs) And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It, It hurts you. The person who does it, it hurts the team. It's going to hurt the perception of the team with leadership. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt the brand of the team within the organization. And then it eventually trickles and it impacts the UX discipline yeah. at large. And and which is why some companies have such an easy time laying off UX people because they don't see value. Yeah. If, if UX yeah, is bringing yeah. this proper value, oh, we're not going anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, you bring up a very important point here. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I just wanted to add there the imposter syndrome that so far that I've seen, uh, if your team is strong, um, right? And and I, I worked with, uh, you know, a large organization, I'm not naming it, uh, you know, right. explicitly, but it's not the organization's, you know, fault either. Um, but, you know, there were people there as head of designs or, you know, people who were, you know, who, who are not from the design background. For example, there was, you know, somebody who was there um, who came from a, a front-end development background and then did some design thinking courses and things like that and then got into this and yep. then got promoted and then became, um, you know. And if you look at that team, right, what will happen is that, you hear them saying like uh, we have this imposter syndrome uh, you can see her kind of you know giving speeches about uh, sorry uh, you know see that person kind of giving speeches <laughs> about the you know the imposter syndrome and things like that you know so it, it, it's it so i think the problem is that you know and and if prior to I don't know, maybe 2014 or something like that. Nobody was talking about imposter syndrome at all. And I worked on like, yeah, <laughs> at all, right? I mean, that's not even 2014. I think it was probably, it's only in the, you know, the recent 2018, 2019 uh, that, you know, people started talking about the imposter syndrome. But before that, like, you know, everybody did their job. If they had a doubt, they, you know, asked the team. Um, it's only this, this, this sort of, you know, when you have, uh, you know, the leadership that is not as strong and yep. they're not able to kind of inspire people or empower people. That's when, you know, you start to seeing the imposter syndrome, syndrome sort of, you know, cropping up. Yep. Yep. Man, there's <laughs> so much we could, we could almost do the rest of this and just talk about yeah. it. Do that another time. <laughs> do that another exactly. time. But let, let's get back imposter into it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back into Roshan's track here, but that good stuff, sure, sure, sure. definitely good stuff. And somebody's going to benefit from that. So you, you mentioned, you introduced yourself, you talked about how you got into UX. How yeah. did you, I think you may have touched on this a tad, but not much. Mm-hmm. How did you develop the speaking? And that's a good segue actually, because people, they have this, sure. they feel like they have imposter syndrome. The, the antidote to that feeling is to go and build your acumen. That, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, how did you build your levels of expertise that you have today? What What are some sure. of the light bulb moments that you had and the things that happened to you that helped to vault you forward? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in my case, it's like um, I have been upfront about what I don't know. 
uh, whenever I join an organization or anything, you know, like if if I did not know how to do research, I would say that, you know, hey, I'm not a researcher. I come from a design background. You know, that's my job, right? So, so I can do, you know, uh, interaction design and things like that whenever I was actually doing those, right? So it, it, it's, it's, I would, I would be upfront that, you know, these are the things I don't know. I'm willing to learn and I want to learn, um, you know, because I want to know, because I have a very curious kind of a mind. I, I, I learn about different things. So naturally you, you sort of, you know, like, um, you know, there will be a lot of people who are actually sort of willing to sort of mentor you in that case, because if you go there with an attitude uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm here to learn, I value, you know, whoever your senior is, you know, your, your, your mentorship, I think that will kind of help. Right. So I think that's what, that's where I, I, uh, I think uh, most because it, and, and I have to, you know, say this also, because at the time when I was actually kind of, um, you know, working in these organizations as, you know, like senior, junior to senior designers, I was not, um, they were, the user experience was not really that prevalent or like that, that discipline was not that prevalent in India. Right. So I think there were only very few people. So I was lucky to sort of reach out to them and then, you know, sort of start learning from them and, you know, uh, things like that, that that's, I think that's probably the only way that you can actually, and if you, if you, you know, keep your ego out and then, you know, if you commit to learning things properly. And I also used to, you know, kind of um, think, uh, I, I think we probably, when we actually sort of um, st- uh, 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 connected on LinkedIn, I think, I think I probably commented on one of your posts about this actually, because I was not aware that, you know, you uh, how the, 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 the negative implications or effect uh, of using UI UX, for example, yeah. uh, the word, right. Um, because, you know, I, I, I used to see that all the time in, in, in India, people, you know, like UI UX, UI UX, and then I kind of naturally started using that also, but then, <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's, it, it's, uh, but then when you sort of explain through your posts and things like that, you know, so that's when I realized that, that that's not, you know, it makes sense. So if you kind of, you know, learn from things that are happening around you, follow the right kind of people uh, and, you know, uh, value the mentorship and then, you know, people who have more experience than you, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, working on the, and, and not just learning, you know, applying those things that you learned on, on the, on the real job also. Right. So that's another thing. So, yeah. and, and, you know, if you can do that, I think that that's how, you know, I did it. Um, now there are a lot of, uh, you know, design schools and, you know, uh, organizations actually providing trainings. But when I was, you know, when I came up, there was none in India, to right. be honest. I think there was no, you know, uh, nothing that was actually doing that user experience design as a, you know, as a discipline. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sent me down memory lane a little bit there because when <laughs> the first time I heard UI UX or UX UI, was when I, in yeah. 2013, when I went to work mm, for yeah. Cengage and National Geographic Learning. Mm-hmm. And I came in as a contractor, the only time I've ever contracted as a UX professional. And was because I was really looking for something. And I, so I went ahead sure. and I made, the, I made the plunge and I really wanted to work for that company. So I, and, and, but people were always trying to hire me. So I had, 
somebody who I got offered two jobs while I was a contractor. And uh, wow. and Cengage is like, oh no, oh no, we love you. You're not going anywhere. And when I got promoted, my title was senior. When I got hired full time, I should say, I was my title. You'll see it on my LinkedIn profile: senior UX UI designer. I thought nothing of it. So that's the first time I heard it, ever. Eh, you know, whoop de doo. I, I don't care. I was so happy, and I think a lot of people are. They're guilty the same way. They don't think any. They don't know that UX UI is an issue. I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I didn't even consider it. Yeah. I also wasn't really talking a lot about UX. I was a, a completely unknown entity except for where I worked. But mm-hmm. as I continued to grow and continue to learn and I continue to advocate for the discipline, and I continue to embrace the fact that we are all ambassadors of UX. When you really think about it, I can no longer allow myself to just sort of opt in and just ride along with this to the extent that I began teaching a course in 2014 or 2015. Okay. It was called UX UI. What's the difference? Matter of fact, it was 2014. Okay. It was right. At, I got that role <laughs> and, and, and it was for me to the whole purpose of the course was to help people understand what the difference is between the two and how you can't use that acronym. So, so I sort of like 2014, if I remember correctly, that was when I, it might've been late 2013. I have to go back and cause I got the dates all jumbled up, but it's right. Yeah. It's right there. And uh, this is not going to work. We can't do this. And then I began to even become more adamant about it because I, I started to observe more and more instances where the combo was being used. And how the, the the mindsets of the people using it, the impact of people using it, and then I just went. So now I've got a huge soapbox <laughs> where I'm always talking about it, and I elaborate. I think I'll go back and redo that class or turn it into a talk and just put it up on my YouTube yes. channel because yeah. it's it's really dangerous, and people have absolutely no idea. They have no idea. Yeah, and I'm going to yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the UX UI thing really critical that we yeah. understand. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I may even have a couple of people on and because I want to start doing more shows too, video because this is sure. of course, the audio. But I want to start doing yeah. more video on these and, and we can do that and talk about it a little bit more. But well, yeah. back to the, the the list of questions here. What is your fondest memory as a UX okay. professional? I know we've all got our little warm fuzzy moments. Things that make us feel really, right. really good. What 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 comes to mind for Roshan? Um, I, I so you know I think I think uh, I, I don't have one single memory to sort of you know kind of uh, particularly particularly pinpoint. But but I think I think it is it is more of you know sort of how I was able to kind of um, help a lot of designers. Um, get into the profession uh, uh, properly, you know. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that I have, um, you know, like hired over the period of, you know, like I don't know, last seven years or something. That you know. And so I, I think um, I was able to kind of help a lot of people who to get into the profession, um, you know, by learning the right things and things like that. Yes. And yes. Um, wonderful. Uh, particularly one, uh, particular one that I kind of stood out for me was 
Um, some, you know, last year, I think it was, I was, you know, like again, hiring, uh, you know, one person and then uh, there is a very well-known uh, design school here um, and the people pay a lot of money in, in India to study there. Um, and then, you know, like they come with this kind of, um, this is how you should do the research and things like that. So, you know, so there were uh, a lot of instances where, uh, you know, uh, a lot of red flags, right? So, you know, secondary research passing, you know, people, people passing secondary research as primary research, for example. Whoa. They just Google something out and then, you know, found something not even from, uh, you know, sort of, uh, reliable or verified sources and then they sort of you know <laughs> hey this is wow. the research we did so you know so uh, so i was able to kind of uh, you know so my my philosophy is that if you have an acumen uh, you know as a, if you are a critical thinker and if you are able to kind of check your ego you know outside and then you are able to kind of listen and to what what we are actually talking about then then i think you have a future in ux right so i think yep. that way i was kind of able to kind of um sort of um you know uh, guide a lot of people uh, uh, to get into ux profession and and i have that uh, relationship with quite a lot of people so that that has been kind of you know one of my uh, uh, fondest thing that I have actually done. Uh, there are other things also, but then you know it, it's it's all project related, and I'm not really kind of able to say you know sort right. of what those are and things <laughs> like that and name drops and you know stuff not a like problem. that. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> what right. do you, What do you think is the best decision you ever made as a UX? What What comes <laughs> to mind? It might not be the absolute best, but but which one comes to mind for you? Um, I think, uh, that would be to sort of, okay, there was a financial, uh, not a financial insurance, uh, related, um, project that I was actually working on and, uh, you know, I was sort of like a creative director or like, you know, UX director kind of a role for that. And, um, we were sort of getting a lot of, uh, you know, stakeholder interviews and things like that done, right? One of the best decisions that I made, I think, is to get, a, because, you know, the stakeholders are in, in North America. So one of the best decisions that I, I actually decided was that instead of me doing it, I think it should be somebody in, in the U.S. Uh, one of the things that I learned is that cultural, um, you know, sort of, uh, getting the right people to do the, the right job. Um, if you get, for example, if you are actually, um, you know, um, how do I say this? Um, uh, the There is a gap. Uh, if your researcher is from a different culture, right? For example, you are not able to sort of understand or ask the kind of right questions properly. So for me, I lived my whole life in India. Right. So it, it, it's, I've traveled to us for, you know, many times that's, you know, that's besides the point, but still I'm not able to understand the culture of the West as much as a person who is actually from the West. Mm. Right. So I think it is important to put the right person to do the research, even if it's somebody who is a sort of, you know, uh, uh, kind of, um, uh, like, you know, doing the research, even if you are the person who is actually preparing the, you know, sort of protocols and things like that. But still, 
uh, that will make an impact. And then I did that, you know, sometimes back and then I kind of, um, I, I make it a point to, you know, for example, if I'm, I'm do, doing a project that is for Hong Kong, for example, we, I tend to get a person, you know, if, if we don't have anybody, we'll, we'll definitely get a person from, from that particular area to, 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 you know, to ask the questions and, you know, do the research. And that makes a lot of uh, change. Uh, the, or you know a lot of difference in the way that uh, you know that the the people respond to the questions and things like that. I think that's uh, something that I've learned uh, quite recently. I mean, not very recently, but you know something that uh, a good learning sort of you know because I always thought you know hey if you learn the tricks you you, you can do it yourself, but that's not the case actually. <laughs> I think there is this uh, you know cultural aspect there. Yeah. That's a phenomenal point. And you remind, when you say that, you remind me, of course, we come across a lot of people. I want to get into UX research. And they don't understand what UX research really is, especially the academics coming in. But it's it's not just them. And of course, I'm not picking on them. I'll say that for posterity's sake. Mm -hmm. But people don't understand. Research has to be designed. Yeah. You don't just, I mean, and people will say, yeah, I just want to go in and, and ask them what they like. You know, we always have the the thing that seems <laughs> to have come to an end, <clears throat> excuse me, on social media, which design do you like better? There are people who are doing that and think that that's research. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> which or, UI is better. Yeah. We're asking, <laughs> uh, um, uh, what would you, what do you want in your design? And then, well, I oh, want yeah. A, B, C, D, E. Okay, good. My research is done. No, it's not. Matter of fact, all the, everything you did is a complete wash because you don't ask people what they want and behavior is better than, exactly. than sentiment and, and people don't understand it. But yeah, you just remind me of that. And I, I wish more people were going to be doing a show talking about that yeah. very soon too, because research needs to be put in perspective. So that people understand mm, yeah. what it is. Uh, and one of the things with the academics that comes up a lot is that I've seen a lot of academics who get into UX research. They get frustrated because of the, the timing that's involved. They're, they're used to mm. doing an academic yeah. project and you can take anywhere from nine months to three years to do that. Well, guess what? You're not going to have over here. No <clears throat> time at yeah. all. You can forget all of that. So you have to be able to move quick. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be on a dime and, and, and you can't miss a beat and that catering the stakeholders, things of that nature. And folks are not ready for that. And so yeah, we'll, yeah. again, we'll be yeah. talking about that at, at length. Uh, somebody's actually gathering questions from, from academics and we're going to be oh, okay. uh, answering all of those questions, but I, I just want to add to add a point there actually yeah. that you know to, to about the cultural thing. Um, this was actually you know like it's not my experience, but uh, I have a friend who actually works in 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 the in the government. Uh, you know, um, so he so th- there is a government agency that is actually sort of building websites and apps for the you know the the public sector, the government sector. Uh, you know things like that. So. Uh, he works there and then uh, he, you know, like they were actually building an app for um, tribal people uh, or, or like tribal or like a remote remote village kind of, you know, uh, uh, a population. And um, what, a problem is that majority of them don't know how to read and write. 
um, not even in any language, basically, um, let alone English, right? <laughs> so they used to to search services. They used the search icon, right? So the you know that that magnifier icon. So and then they tested it with the users. So what happened was that. Uh, the, the people were asking, "What's this dish doing here?" Because they have never seen a, you know, magnifier in their life. So that that kind of a thing, right? You know what I mean? Wow! So because it looks like a, you know, not a dish, but you know, sort of like a, a you frying know, pan. A pan or something like yeah. that. Yeah, frying yeah. pan, right? It looks like a frying pan. So like, what is it doing here? What does it do? So that's a question. So you know, so the, the, there was an interesting thing because you know. Culturally, if if somebody has hasn't seen that uh, real yep. thing, the magnifier glass, you know, like you never know what it does. <laughs> wow! Yeah, you, you remind me of my when I did my master's thesis on the evolution of the hamburger menu. That's my master's. <laughs> that's what my master's thesis was on back in 2015, okay. and 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 it was funny to print out icons on lar- eleven by seventeen just pretty mm-hmm. large icons and just hold them up and ask people what they thought what these icons were icons only no text. And yeah. but specifically, of course, everything else was a distract was like a, a distraction because we really just want to know what they felt about the, the hamburger menu. And, and when these people, different ages, if I remember correctly, the people that I tested range from 25 to 72. And when the older people, mm-hmm saw that hamburger menu. What is this? Oh, it's three lines. That was it. Nobody, (laughs) nobody had any idea. Now it's readily accepted today and it had to become sort of like evolved where it was accepted within our digital world, so to speak. And people would understand it, but in its inception, Oh God, just, just terrible. Just (laughs) terrible. Moving on to the next question though. What is your biggest, sure. what is your biggest regret that you've had no, as a U.S. I have professional? A lot. I have so many. <laughs> Feel free to string yeah. them together. Go right ahead. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, uh, you know, so the, the, my biggest regret, I think, is that not learning, um, you know, sort of research and, uh, you know, the, the research-based design early on. Um, I think uh, because I've made a lot of terrible websites and, you know, designs for people, uh, you know, during my, the beginning of my career, right? So it's, it's, it's all because, and, and I did not have the opportunity to learn those, you know, also because India, you know, like I said, in India, there were, UX was not really something that people did, right, um, right. you know, because India was mostly, you know, like developers and, you know, engineers and things like that. So the designers never had the chance there, but, you know, but, but I think that kind of, uh, that kind of, I, I think I lost probably five years of my career, you know, just, just not knowing wow. user experience properly. Um, right. So, it, and, and I was kind of, uh, yes, usability was a thing that I was actually doing, but still, you know, the, 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 the aspect of you know understanding the problem and then doing a user research and you know um, like the importance of doing the uh, you know the testing and things like that that was never you know something that I understood in the beginning so I think that was probably the the biggest research and if you look at my career also because of that 
I, I've had opportunities to become sort of, um, you know, a manager or, you know, like in a management role, you know, even before, but I, I always kind of thought that, you know, I was not ready for that um, because, you know, I was still learning because I didn't yeah. want to be, you know, somebody who didn't know how to do things. And then, you know, pretended that, you know, you, you know, you can do these things. So I think, uh, because of that, I think I probably lost like five years or five, six years of my uh, career because of, you know, not not learning things properly. So I think that that's uh, probably the biggest, uh, you know, kind of regret that I have. That's that's huge. That's huge. I think everybody can benefit from something like that, no matter where mm-hmm. we are, because there there's people that are that are 10 years, 15 years yep. and have things that they don't know. I mean, why not learn it? It, it's yeah. uh, I'm about to do a project about toolboxes. What's in your toolbox? Mm. Really? Is it like, like the guy we used to joke about the guy who would come in with a back in the day when you did see people carrying briefcases and the guy had a briefcase and nothing was in it, but a sandwich. There's, okay. there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing in it. I, I don't want to be that person. I, I never wanted to be I, that person. If I have a, a, a briefcase yeah. or a toolbox uh, and the briefcase is the business person's toolbox essentially in, in, in yep. a sense, um, uh, not fully, but in a sense, what's in my toolbox? What, what can I, if I'm coming, being brought in to work on something, what tools, because I, th- my ability to help is going to be limited to the tools. And today when we think tools, people think they hear the word tools, they think Figma, you know, yeah. they think Azure, <laughs> they think, they think, uh, Qualtrics, yeah. they think, they think tool. No, no. What, what, what methods, methodologies, techniques, deliverables are in your toolbox? And, and when yep. people, we can shift the thinking and get people to understand that those are also tools. And of course, the greatest tool we always talk about this is the human mind. Yeah. You know, you know, and some people, their mind is not even in their toolbox. They don't even, you know, it starts and ends with Figma for a lot of people. And that, yeah. that should let somebody yeah. know that they're actually tool deficient. And they need to shift right. out of that. But I'll, I'll get off of that soapbox real quick. What has been your biggest challenge? Hmm. So, and I, I think uh, we, we are kind of similar in a way that, you know, I, I change jobs um, very frequently. Um, right. I mean, um, yeah. the most that I have worked in organization is like um, two years uh, or three years, probably. Um, so I think. Um, for me, my biggest challenge is suffering fools. Um, I would say, <laughs> I would, <laughs> you know, and I've, 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 it sort of manifests in a way that you know, like, um, so I, again, I'm not naming any organizations, uh, but you know, recently joined a company, and then I, uh, a huge company, prestigious company, people kind of look forward to kind of joining that company. And I quit that job within three months. Um, so, you know, um, <laughs> and uh, so the, my my biggest challenge is sort of, you know, like uh, when, 
my first instinct always is to kind of hey correct it uh, you know this is not the, the, the certain way you know this is not how you do certain things but then if if they're not acceptable to that uh, my my biggest challenge is to continue to kind of pursue doing that yep. um i would probably just you know um just just uh, you know quit so that 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 has been there and uh, it is still is there actually so um you know if if projects and things like that they're not able to understand uh you know where we are actually kind of coming from i will try my best to sort of uh you know oh hey you need to do the research you need to do the testing uh, if, even if you say that you know you don't have the budget you will suffer later if you develop the whole thing yeah yep. you know but if they're not able to uh accept it then uh, you know my uh, my interest goes down and then you know i quit sort of you know so i i i stop caring so that's that's uh, that's Bingo. a problem and it's a bad yeah it, <laughs> that's it's a, a problem because yeah it's a problem because you know career wise if you look at it, it it's just you know my i'm just i i it feels like i'm i'm jumping around right um but you know and then and that also kind of affects the the sort of stability of the job so i think that's probably is my biggest challenge and i still suffer you know sort of uh, I'm not able to do about anything about it actually. <laughs> right, right. If it if it helps at all, and I think some people need to hear what I'm about to say too. Uh, I cannot yeah. find this article. There was an article that I saw roughly four years ago, and okay. it, and it mentioned that it t- it talked specifically about the shelf life of a UX practitioner, hmm. and really likened. The, the years that a UX professional stays at a company to dog years. Isn't that something that to stay at a company for one year for a UX professional is really almost like being there for eight years in another role. Right. Yeah. That's really what it's like. So I think the longest I've ever been in any company as a UX professional, I believe is roughly three and a half years. Oh, uh, my freelance yeah. aside, uh, that, that yeah. doesn't count because I was in charge. So, but, and I was, yeah. you know, I was leading, leading everything, but I mean, you, you, you there's an element of self-respect mm-hmm. that comes into yeah. play. I know a lot of people that stay at a company, the UX material level is bad. They're not valued. They're not understood. Yeah. They have to fight all the time. Uh, and the funny thing is, these are younger people who are the ones that are more willing to do it. Uh, yeah. So they don't know that I almost died because of what was happening to me at one company I worked for. And mm-hmm. that really changed my perspective, Roshan, tremendously. When wow. I, after being in the hospital, I never stayed in the hospital a day in my life until that. Wow. And I always, my joke, the way I jokingly present it, I can joke about it now because I lived, but yeah. I always joked that there were four parties and each had an appendage and they were all pulling two legs, mm. two arms, uh, uh, a, uh, marketing department that wanted to control UX and didn't even know I had been hired. And so right. they continued to execute on their plans to commandeer UX, even though they had no knowledge of UX, nobody, no practitioners, no nothing but they wanted to control the UX. So they had an arm. My bosses who were my boss and my boss's boss who were afraid to deal with the politics 
unskilled and afraid to stand up to the marketing department. So they were being manipulated and they weren't really providing me any support. They had another arm. Oh, yeah. There was a, wow. a technology partner who was mad because of what I did a heuristic analysis and let him know that his baby was ugly, which I really did. I, <laughs> this is what you can do to improve. I mean, it's known that you have a successful product, but if you do this, you can take your user experience even further and you can greatly improve your, your product. Your, your heuristics are outdated. There's no such thing as an outdated heuristic, especially when you do it right, which I did. So he had a, they had a leg because they wanted me dead because I said their baby was ugly. And then there was a, a uh, creative partner who had been hired to do Mm -hmm. the user experience. I was the first UXer that was hired full time. They were mad because they were being uh, backfilled by me. So they tried to create problems for me on every hand. They had the other Mm -hmm. leg and everybody. And I, so I had no support. I was on an Island by myself with no support trying to drive success of a product that had been rolled out. It was going to be the eighth product that was rolled out seventh or eighth product rolled out to the people at that company, the users and the prior six or seven solutions that had been rolled out were all rolled out concurrently without any understanding of the, of the day-to-day operation of any of the users. Oh, and by the way, every time they rolled out a new, a new solution, they kept the old one. So, and so, when, so when the users saw these leadership cover, we got another thing we want you to use. They would automatically cower up and, and just cower into a ball because they were scared to death because they were being forced to use something. I had to come and repair all those relationships, do all these things while having no support. Oh, and by the way, I was successful, but it almost cost me my life. Yeah. And so it, it changed my perspective. And as I look at intrinsics, I don't care about your salary. How was it impacting me as a, as a human being? Am I able to get satisfaction out of the work? Right. So those are the things that are important. And so, and so if I work somewhere and they don't, you don't understand what you have, it's highly likely I'm out. If you, if, if you sold me on something and then I get in there and find out it's something else, then it's highly likely that I'm out. I've worked at companies have baited and switched me. When I find out you bait and switch me, I'm out. I've worked at companies yeah. where terrible leadership abounds in UX these days. You sound like a great leader. My current boss, dynamite boss. I've only had like <laughs> three, four good bosses my entire career. And, and oh, yeah. bosses, I, who, they gaslight, they manipulate, they, they get engaged in all kinds of trickery. They don't support. Just, oh my God, when those things happen, I don't care. I've got, you know, I'm same as you. I've got a lot of short stints yeah. and I am not ashamed yeah. of any of them because when I find out that you have lost your mind, I am going to leave. And those of you yeah. listening to my, That's, listening today, feel free to look yeah. at my LinkedIn profile. And when you see that I wasn't there, right. long, <laughs> it is safe to say that something was wrong. And I highly advise against you going there. How about we leave it at that? <laughs> but yeah, go ahead, Rocha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but I I wanted to ask you though. I mean, was it um, has it ever become a challenge for you to sort of get a job because of uh, you know so many yeah. switches and absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because I was going to mention that too. Um, 
when you have a lot of short stints, you do have to, I mean, ethics and honesty, transparency, got to be up front. Everybody's going to ask me about my short stints, pretty much. Uh, And I'm going to tell them what happened in a professional and in a, in a, demonstrating all diplomacy uh, and, and making sure to do things in a tactful manner. Um, And, but what I have found is over the course of my career, the companies that are not afraid, the companies that are confident, let me back up the company. I found that the companies that are confident of what they bring to the table and recognizing that your stints are not a reflection of your skill at all. They should be the people who have confidence and who understand hiring and understand what it means to the team. We got to bring Roshan because look at what this guy brings to the table. Now, the question is, you can bring anybody to the you, you can bring anybody in. But you have to match that. It's like a covenant. You, you have to a hiring is supposed to be a covenant. It means that both parties bring something to the table. So, yeah. You know, I've got to be 28 years of experience as of this year in U.S. I I am skilled, as I like to explain, across all four major pillars of U.S. Heuristics and usability, information architecture, research and interaction and interface design. I'm skilled across all four. I am not a jack of all trades. As you know, it's funny, people that jack of all trades thing. The person who actually made that statement was actually endorsing that you should be a jack of all mm. trades. He wasn't trying to say that oh. jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. And people were starting to go back and look at that, like the, the Henry Ford thing. Henry Ford said that people want faster words. He never said that <laughs> at all. That's uh, people that you know maybe didn't believe whatever comes out and we don't engage in critical thinking. But at any rate, yeah. the companies who they see that you bring something to the table, you bring something to the table, but they've got to bring something too. Otherwise the covenant that we made when the hiring took place, when the offer was made and accepted, that's a covenant. And if whether people realize it or not, it is. But when the companies, when you are lying, when you boast about DEI and, and you only do it for the profit that comes from it, because companies found out, right. just like they found out that yeah. UX can help drive the competitive advantage of your companies, they found out that boasting about DEI helps boost profits. So they did the same exact thing they did with UX. They got involved with UX, never learned UX, and then UX becomes a circus because they don't know anything. Did they blame UX? No, you never found out what UX was. uh, And now they boast about DEI. So when you find out that the company is not DEI friendly, what's that going to mean? You know, company I worked for, and I'm going to follow your example because one of these days I will tell the whole story. The uh, one company I worked for, I come in, I interviewed for a senior manager role. When I, when they go to make the offer, you're going to love this. You're the first person I've told the story to the first time I've mentioned this on my show. When they go to make the offer, they go to extend the offer. Then they go, wait a minute. And they pull it back. And they say, "Uh, you know, uh, we were told by, by uh, HR that we have some budgetary issues. And so we have to change your offer. We have to downgrade your position from senior manager to manager. And I thought wow. that it was a great opportunity. So, and I got the feeling that they wanted to do approve it because they were very apprehensive because of the short stints mm-hmm. that I had. And they didn't want to offer me that role, pay me that extra money 
give me that extra bonus. Mm-hmm. And then I leave when actually I should have recognized that that was a front because if I leave mm-hmm. you, what do you lose? If I stay, then it's a win-win, but the only yeah. way I'm going to lose or, or leave is if you violate what you're presenting to me now. I already know the work's going to be okay, but are you going to, you going to play games with my mind? And, it, mm-hmm. and so that was the first bait and switch. Then I get in, I find yeah. out it's really a glorified product designer role. It's really not UX work uh-huh. at all. So that's number two. Yeah. Then I find out I'm not really managing people, which is something mm-hmm. that has been absent to a great extent in my career. And I wanted to do more. So, okay. So I'm not, they kept switching. Sure. And and then they turn around and the next thing you know, people appear to be offended at my skill level, mm-hmm. commandeering my meetings, disrupting my meetings, uh, running to people yeah. and making all of these false claims about things. Even when the person that they run to with the story was there and saw it, they were still going mm-hmm. in and, and, and play these, these character assassination as I always talk about engaging these, in these, hefty acts of character assassination only for people who knew better to buy in. I'm not wow. staying. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not staying. I can't hardly sleep because you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about all the dirty things people do to you. So it's not, it's not yeah. about the work anymore. It's the people coming to true, me telling true. me how to do my job. There, this is how you do this, and this is how you do. They even some even one person even went as far as in trying to tell me how to pin chats and teams. I didn't ask you for. I didn't need you to show me that. <laughs> I didn't ask you for your help. But they were trying to create a narrative that they had to tell me how to do stuff. Just barge in. And, wow. There, this is how you tie your shoes. That's interesting. I don't wear shoes with laces anymore. Why are you trying to tell me about? I, do you see any laces? <laughs> Do you see me struggle? Do you see me walking around with untied? No, you don't. So why did you? So somebody engaged, yeah. somebody in leadership should have seen that and held those people accountable for what they were doing. Instead, mm-hmm. they flip it because they want to make them comfortable and they put it all on me. Well, yeah. you just push me one. Every time something happened, you push me one step closer to the door. Because anybody who has an ounce of self-respect, which is my point in all of this, is not going to put up with that stuff. So if you, so those of you out there under the sound of my voice, if you want qualified, skilled people to stay at your company, treat them with some dignity and respect. It doesn't cost you anything to do that. Exactly. (laughs) It costs you nothing. (laughs) So just do it. But I'm not going to stay and, and if you're going to shorten my life. My wife would love the life insurance, but I think she'd rather have me. Yeah. Right now, exactly. in fact, she heard me say that. But she said, yes, I'd rather have you. She'll get the life insurance soon enough, I'm sure. But yeah. not not this way. Not this way. So, yeah, I went on for a long time on that. But go ahead, Rochon. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good points, actually. I mean, I think, yeah, because, you know, for me, I always 
found that as a problem with me you know i mean a challenge that i have i always thought that you know like i'm it, it's something wrong with me that i'm not able to sort of you know um take these sort of um you know the corporate behaviors sort of say you know so but but yeah i think i think it is it is to do with uh, you know um like self respect i think it's yep. pretty important actually yeah yep. and especially as a designer because you know i think it is um uh if we you know people i i've seen like you know departments and especially you know like the development uh, people and you know people from the engineering background kind of sort of thinking us thinking of us as more of like people who can actually make things pretty yep um there is yep. that perception uh, you know so so i think uh, it it is yeah, and you know like eventually when we are able to kind of challenge that and then you know the people will get uh, you know offended and they will uh, you know bring things up and you know <laughs> things yep. will not go well so that happens so yeah yep i think we we can probably just uh, sort of steer away from that topic probably that's not really that much <laughs> yeah uh, you know and it should be i mean we come we come together to collaborate because we're going to achieve yeah. success because we come together from a multidisciplinary standpoint all right, successes yeah. are going to happen because the UX people are not going to come in and save anybody from anything. We have to work together. There, there's the, the developers, sure. the QA people, the product owners, the product managers. I mean, everybody, every skill, every concept, the project managers, the scrum, the scrum masters, everybody yeah. coming together. And when we're all able to excel within our lanes, it helps to drive us forward and we get great successes. But there's so much. Yeah, cross lane fighting that it doesn't mm, yeah. help. I respect everybody's discipline. I made it a point to do that. I think my old freelance work helped me to understand it because I did everything. Yeah. So it helped me to understand everybody. And then I just, you know, just respected everybody. And when I worked mm. my old WPP world, I found that the agency mm. life taught me. I mean, I went from Comerica bank financial mm. work where we didn't have, I mean, we did all of our stuff inside. We didn't have any creative agencies that we were dealing with and things of that nature, but everybody still respected. It was a big bank and everybody yeah, respected yeah. what everybody brought to the table. And we did our work and I even, I never even seen the fighting before when, yeah, when I was yeah. at team Detroit and I was part of Wonderman digital specifically, I was part oh, of yeah. Wonderman, Wonderman and, yeah, and yeah. we would do work and we, the UX people, we did our work and, then the the visual people would do their work and the copywriter people did their work and the QA people and we all we all sort of were interwoven and we did our thing and and there was no fighting. I found out that it was it differs across agencies that even I was really okay. shocked to see that UX maturity levels vary depending upon what agency yeah. you work at. So yeah. my yeah. the agency I worked at was more mature. But then when I when you yeah. start getting into corporate spaces, oh my God, does it change dramatically and the fighting is guaranteed pretty much yeah. and so you have to manage it I, I have to say though i mean um so th there are quite a lot of uh, smaller indian companies here who um and you know i've, I've just spoken to them also like uh, uh, you know uh, and, and i know a few of them personally the founders and you know people like that and they take uh design um, and user experience very seriously nice and uh, nice. there are a few organizations that have actually set up proper 
um, UX, uh, you know, practice with, with very good maturity, you know, getting the right people, um, hiring the right people and things like that. So it, even though it is, you know, like large organizations, they may not be actually as efficient as, you know, um, it could be because there are a lot of these, you know, kind of uh, people, you know, toxic people still there and they're not able <laughs> to kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of hindering the changes, you know, uh, like uh, not able to change um, and, and things like that. But but there are uh, small organizations that are actually able to uh, set up user experience practices with uh, good maturity and things like that. So there is hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that's great to hear. Very great to hear. Yeah. That makes me think we've been talking about this a little bit. What observations about the discipline stand out to you today? You've already talked about mm-hmm. a few of them, but it's listed here. So we got to cover it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, um, and this is, uh, one thing is, um, one thing that I've seen is that, you know, uh, when, uh, people started doing, uh, research based designs, Right. I think uh, when they started it, I think it was all with the good intentions and things like that and, you know, doing it properly. Uh, but then what I've seen so far in, in, in some companies and then some, uh, you know, few projects and, you know, products and things like that. The research is like, it's only for the name that I've seen it, actually. It, it's it's all shortcuts and things like that, right? Um, it, it's, yeah. uh, you know, somebody else is, you, you know, like, for example, Deloitte did a research. They refer to the same article and then, you know, sort of without doing any primary research or directional research, they will just take that word for word and then, you know, they will just Ooh. present that as, um, you know, sort of their own data and, and stuff like that. And I've seen that happening and I've actually even cross-checked certain things, you know, like people done and then you can figure out hey, where this came from, right? So because they didn't even bother to kind of change the language. So uh, there are a lot of those going on, at least in India. Um, and and people actually presenting themselves as researchers in on LinkedIn and things like that are not necessarily, you know, sort of researchers. And uh, so there is a lot of fake people um, the other thing is a shift towards um, high fidelity first. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's like, um, you know, just you skip the entire process of, uh, you know, sort of, I, I think one of my bosses, I think, remember who actually said that your, the fidelity of your thinking should reflect the fidelity of your design. Ooh. Right. I mean, you know, if nice. if if, uh, if you're not uh, sure about certain things in your designs, then it should not be high fidelity. Otherwise, people will start, you know, sort of, yes. you know, kind of marrying to the design and then they will start, you know, sort of um, thinking that this is going to be the design. So. Nowadays, I, I see people like, you know, immediately jumping into Figma and then, you know, starting, you know, with, with, with the colors and, you know, stuff like that. And then you you miss out an opportunity to test the designs and things like that uh, with the low fidelity, uh, you know, prototype. Um, and that, that becomes a huge problem. And I think the third one is, obviously... I don't understand this obsession with AI kind of creating all these, you know, <laughs> the, the, the storylines and you know, 
uh, th- th- this uh, I don't know. I, th- I think that's something we can probably talk about it uh, afterwards. But I, I'm curious to see. I think you have actually also sort of talked about it quite a lot, right? I think. Yeah. Do you think that there is actually a decline in in uh, quality of uh, design or deliverables? Or I'm talking about from a user experience standpoint, right? Yeah. Uh, do you feel like you know we are actually kind of celebrating mediocrity these days? Oh my God! Um, with the help of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> understatement. Wait, I constantly refer to this as the I don't know what they do with with this in India or if this happened in India, but there was a time mm-hmm. when like uh, this may be some people may struggle with this example, but I, I'll present it in a way that I hope everybody can get it. But there was a time when in little league sports, you mm-hmm. had to go out whatever the sport was. You had to go out and try out for the team. And 15, 20 kids come out, try out for the team. There's only 12 spots. So there's somebody's going to go home sad. Yeah. After all the tryouts and all the labor. And then you go and you make this. So there's one thing that's different today because today everybody makes a team. They don't want anybody to feel bad. They don't want anybody to feel this so-called inclusion thing is, is actually jading expectations and it's jading the appetite for excellence. Cause now you can, you can be a part by half doing anything and, and, and and it's permeating cultures around the world. Then you play the game, say a sock, a game of soccer. This is where I hear about it happening more than anywhere else. They play soccer. One team beats the other team 26 to nothing. The kids get stumped. Now, the right. kids who play 26 to nothing, their coach is grilling them and making them do all type of stuff. You better beat them 26 to nothing because they're not very good. And then the other, the other ones, they get stumped. And then they leave and they're celebrated. They gave no yeah. effort. There was no expertise. Nobody's committed to anything. And then they go, all right, we lost. Let's go get ice cream and pizza or whatever. And, and, and then, so you basically, the mindset is that of the participation trophy that you did Mm -hmm. nothing. You accomplished nothing. You presented nothing of value, but yet we're going to reward you. And, And this is something that we started to see when I was a teenager, it started. I, I, I was an all star little league baseball player. And, but on the team I played with first time ever, cause I played little league before this and it didn't happen. You try out for the team, you either make the team or you don't. And if you make the yeah. team, you either start or you're on the bench. And if you're on the bench, you may or may not get into the game. If you don't play, nobody's going to cry. If you cry, you're going to cry alone. If you want to play, get better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you, your parents had to send you to camps so you, you could get better in the whole nine yards. And I think my parents ended up, being angry later, regretting that they didn't send me to some of those camps because uh, they lost millions of dollars, which I would have given them had they sent me to camp. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, and I was this far from being from making it. But at any rate, the when I by the time I played on that Lily baseball team, there were sixteen of us on the team. All sixteen people played every game. Matter of fact. All 16, because there's nine positions on the baseball team. All 16 people batted. 
everybody batted. And, uh-huh. and, and I remember, oh, so-and-so is about to go bat. Oh, there's two outs. Grab your gloves. We're about to go out back out. He's not going to get a hit. He can't even see the ball. So that was when I, I got, I, I played when you had to make it. And then I played again when it was this participation trophy thing. And and, and it's really sad that I, I have found that today that has advanced even more. And, and now you have this sense of entitlement. Everybody feels that they're entitled to everything. They know. And, and the big thing today, especially with this gatekeeping mindset that a lot of people have, they don't want to be told. You mentioned it earlier. They, 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 they act like they know something when they know that they don't. And then when somebody tells them that they don't know or tries to give them some constructive criticism, they reject it. And then they talk about gatekeeping. You and anybody who has a like a fear of gatekeeping, it's not a legit concept like imposter syndrome. But if you're afraid of it, you'll never learn. Because gatekeeping is nothing more than quality advocacy. And when you get educated, what's happening? You're being exposed to quality right. and you're being held accountable and measured by that quality. So right. the whole educate a proper educational process is an act of gatekeeping as well. Much needed gatekeeping. So, so we struggle. I mean, we struggle. Uh, that's why uh, I remember a vitamin T did that research back in like 2017 or so saying that every user or every experience out there, only 97 experiences, 97% of experiences actually have problems with them. According to the research that they did 97%. Okay. And so I tell my students all the time, strive to be part of the three. Do everything you can <laughs> yeah. to strive to be a part of the 3%. Uh, Cause actually that was 97% in 2017. It's worse today. Yeah. Yeah. It's worse today because people do things just to get by. You like you mentioned, they, they want to come out, break out with the high fidelity stuff right out the bat. Yeah. We yeah. don't even know what the requirements are. How can you, and then they, they, those, which design is better posts, which have well, yeah. zero <laughs> context. And I started exactly. posting that we can, I don't know what's the context. I'm not going to judge this just based on what you said, or what you posted here. What's the context of this thing? Let's start where we should start. And you yeah. know, that happened. So yeah, quality is going to be a, uh, until there is a commitment to quality. The, I right. say that UX is on a downward spiral right now. Is there hope? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's hope. But we're not in there a good way. Yeah. We're not in a good way. But I things seem to be starting. To, I'm starting to see little glints of hope here and there. And more and more people that have more of a passion, more of an appetite for things that are done the right way, which is really more what user experience right. is about anyway. The attitudes and the perceptions yeah. is more critical to UX than the whether or not you can use Figma. That's not yeah exactly so yeah yeah, I think I I, I do see some hope though I mean I I still have to you know like I've worked with enough young people and I have seen uh, you know so a lot of people who have that appetite to sort of you know do things the right way and I've seen that also but it's just there's also this percentage of people who um, who are you know currently senior 
kind of you know in a positions where they they would still probably just you know directly jump into the designs without you know doing a pro- proper research um funny though i mean i think uh, when you were speaking i was thinking about something that happened because um i've had uh, uh, like i worked with somebody who sort of you know uh, did an interview uh, for you know did did a few user interviews so we we divided the user interview between you know a few few of the people that we were actually working with and um, when at the time of synthesis we were we were actually looking at the transcript uh, this particular person actually sent us the transcript which was exactly the same copy for all three interviews he took the transcripts are the same so and then he was um, he was at, at a senior manager at that time oh, uh, you know sort of and then he i mean there are people with that kind of you know uh, carelessness with um, i i think the guy was like 15 16 years of experience right wow. and that guy is kind of doing it um so there are people like that also and then you know and when we point out things like that you know it it's um nothing happens because you know people will just say hey that's what he did i mean you know he he probably transcribed it that's what he got from the you know transcription but then wow. you know we went there and then listened to the the recordings and then that's not the user's actually sent so uh, you know there are things like that also my goodness you just reminded me of a story um something i witnessed not too long ago a person who's mm-hmm. running a uh, senior manager it's like mm-hmm. in, in your story um said that she had 8 years of experience when i looked at the profile that's not what i saw but uh what i saw was more what the person did not what they were mm-hmm. claiming and the person we were talking to some stakeholders and this person literally asked them okay we're going to do some research how many stakeholder or how many participants would you like us to research what <laughs> <laughs> you just you just you kept trying to tell me what to do so you could try to make it look like you know more than me cuz you're threatened by me obviously you literally asked the stakeholder so how many people would you want us to research and I went, oh no <laughs> no <so> no <laughs> No, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. That's determined by the type of research you do. You know, but yeah, these, are the exactly. people, these are the same people that want to ask people what they want and then act like they did something. So it, it, it's, this has to be straightened out. And I think, I think it's a U.S. Yeah. leadership problem. Uh, that, right. that is, it starts when the company forms their U.S. team. Been talking about this a lot lately. If you hire the yeah. wrong person to run your UX team, everything after that is going to is going to be garbage. <laughs> and, and then <laughs> exactly. I've, I've seen teams, I don't know how they start badly and then they try to fix it. They realize they start to see their gaps. Honesty starts to peek peek its head out of the ground just a little bit. We need to bring somebody in here that knows what's going on. I've been hired to teams like that. Mm-hmm. And I was going to come in and become this new voice of reason that the team never had before only for the people who preceded me they didn't expect that that their own experience was going to have holes poked in it. Not purposely. I didn't go around trying to right. find things and, but I just kept talking and they got sick of it. 
And 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 then <laughs> next thing you know, I'm getting attacked from all these different angles because of how I made them feel. Well, you know, maybe he shouldn't have lied to management and told him he had nine years of UX experience when this was actually his first Man. UX job. In one instance, that that's really what happened. And and uh, no, this is your first UX job, and the person would go out of their way to try to make me feel like they were schooling me on things. And I mean, out of the blue, not not because I did anything that caused it. They just swung in on a rope like Tarzan and then try to create this, this narrative. I'm going, no, 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 that's not, that's not how this works. I remember working at a company and the, uh, I was frustrated and, and UX people do gain support from other UX people. When things go crazy, you should be able to talk to somebody else. When you talk to a stakeholder, exactly. I see you nod your head. When you, when something goes crazy, you expect to be able to go back and talk to the other UXers about what happened we 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 comfort one another. We encourage one another. We go back out and yeah. we do it again. We got to talk to somebody. And 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 I was something happened with a stakeholder. I had never had an interaction with that particular stakeholder again. I was a little frustrated about. It. I was gonna you know be fine. I didn't demonstrate anything uh, with the with the stakeholder. I didn't get unprofessional. I didn't. They didn't even know that I was frustrated. But I was frustrated. So I came back to talk to the UX people because that's what I'm used to doing. So that's that's what I was gonna do, and and then he, he says, "Oh, so oh yeah, you finally got you finally experienced the frustration, huh?" Like again, I, I'm not even saying what he actually said to me. It was very risque language that he used to describe someone who had just like, lost their uh um how do we say someone <laughs> who who just uh, had their first experience of a certain sort. That was the way he started talking to me, and I looked and I knew what he meant. Are you kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know my background. You know that this is not the first time. I'm the, but but I just got to this company and that I just got I had a little bit of a rude awakening of what was going to happen within this company and trying to do the right thing. But I was brought in to help drive the UX material level. So on one hand, I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked, but I was more frustrated than I was shocked. And I thought that since they had been seeing this, that they might shed some light on some things with me and maybe help me to understand that stakeholder a little bit so I could come up with a strategy to go back and and get things done the right way. Mm -hmm. But instead, he used it as an opportunity to try to create this weird narrative. And that yeah, I'm, I'm even also, I'm, I'm going to start a, a narrative on <laughs> a challenge to the UX community. So those of you under the sound of my voice right now, you want to see where you are from a personal UX maturity perspective? You have to be able to interact and engage in a fruitful and practical manner with senior UXers. If you, if anybody who cannot engage and interact with a true, not the people who say they are, there's a lot of people who say they're seniors and not seniors. You know, going back, yeah, that's you know used to have to be have at least seven years before you in some cases 10 yeah. before you would be considered to be a senior mid-level yeah. was this big gigantic window and uh at one time in the this one now you got people getting senior like after six months and things like that oh yeah no that, that's that's no it's not right and it, that creates problems so yeah but. I, I know of somebody who got promoted at amazon uh after just having four years of experience as a manager as Whoa. a manager not even as a senior 
Wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, God, no, no, no. <laughs> so, you know, and then, and, and, and she had the wisdom, though. I mean, uh, she uh, said no. And then she joined another company wow. as a senior designer. Wow. Yeah, she said, like, I'm ready. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing for her. That that doesn't happen. That just simply yeah, I mean, does not happen. Let me get a, that person. <laughs> get that person like, some applause, man. You know, but to the people who accept the senior role before they're ready. <laughs> so a little shout out on both ends with that. It, it's because yeah. it the person gets the paycheck, they get the job, they get the prestige, they get the pride, and then they they throw a monkey wrench into the discipline. Yeah. In the process, because they don't, yeah. they don't live up to the title and, and you, you have 50 leaders walk by you and they see your title and they have an expectation and it gets blown. <laughs> and you wonder why they sweep right. in and, and, and uh, lay everybody off <laughs> because somebody yeah. somewhere contributed to that. Yeah. Yep. So and that's, that's the, and, and if that's the kind of, uh, you know, uh, the maturity in organizations like that, I think you can imagine what's going on with, uh, you know, yep. all these companies that they have, you know, have laid out, laid off a lot of people. I mean, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> garbage. It's easy to imagine. Yeah. yeah. Rosha, we have been talking already for quite some time. We got to do this again. I'm going to, I'm going to end with my standard question, but we got to re we got to redo this again, because we had some topics we didn't get to cover. I know you, you wanted to talk about the role of AI and UX and you want to talk about system thinking. So let's get together again soon and do that again. Anniversary shows with people who've been on the, who've been on the show uh, are coming up again soon. So maybe we can line something up then, but we're going to wrap up today with our final question. What advice sure. do you have for up and comers in the discipline? I know you said a lot of great stuff that fits into this already, but what would be your sign off sure. message to folks? Okay. Um, so think of, uh, you know, uh, I, the first thing is user centered design. I don't know, like what, what, um, learn the methodology properly um, that that covers and you know like it's been around for a long time and it, it, like that that thing works that methodology works right so if you're in a you know don't be sort of you know don't show your ego just you know own up to the things that you don't know uh, and sort of you know learn the the, the user centered design methodology properly. Yep, that will get you so far because you know I I don't think there is no other way around it actually. Um, and if you have uh, interest in other things like you know human behavior, um, you know psychology and things like that, yes, you can get a little bit more you know more into that and then you know probably just help uh, sort of grow the grow the discipline. Um, but I think the basics of it is everything is laid out in the, the user centered design methodology. Yep. You know, just yep. follow that. I think that's that's the 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 first advice that I'll give anybody who is getting into the UX profession and research based design. 
and um, i've i've heard a lot of people actually talking about data driven design and uh, you know it, it, it's uh, and people tend to think that data driven design is only just looking at the analytics and then you know designing to solve that analytics problem or whatever <laughs> they are actually seeing in their analytics, right? So I think it, it's much more than that. I think uh, this, this, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's it's about the using both quantitative and qualitative, uh, and you know, uh, solving that for you know, for using the quantitative and qualitative data to solve the problems. Yes. So I think um, you know that that UCD actually helps with that. So that's that's my kind of you know, and uh, the the advice. Excellent, excellent. I totally agree. Totally agree. Great stuff. Yeah. So, folks, thank you, Roshan, for taking the time to 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 meet with me today and to be on the show. A lot of power pack stuff here that you shared with the audience. And again, we've got, we got to get that set up soon, and and we can get have some other sure. discussions here. But, folks, that is all the time that we have for today. Thanks to all of you out there. We'll take the time to listen to the world of UX. Again, share this with other people that you know really want to embrace and get involved with UX uh, um, passionately, genuinely, love the discipline, get involved. We're going to be here to share information with you that's always going to help to vault you forward the right way. And with all the misinformation that's out here today, what you tap into is indeed critical and your trajectory will always match the quality of your intake. Remember that. All right, folks. So that's all the time that we have today. So for my guest, Roshan Ravi, and for me, Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.